0: Seldom do we have an encounter that leaves us changed. Something or someone that completely flips our world upside down forever. Encounter the real Jesus and you will never be the same. He calls us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. He invites us to seek him, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to drink from the well that will never run dry to believe in him and never thirst again. He beckons us to come and follow after him and experience the love that sent him to us. Seldom do we have it. There we go. It was so good. We wanted you to see it twice. Let me tell you, Trinity Church, online, online. Happy New Year! I can't think of a time in my life that people were so excited to say goodbye to one year and the uh, potential of a new. So we are glad that you are starting 2021 with us today as we, like uh, David just prayed, really focus our attention and put Jesus in the spotlight. Uh, Rightly so, he deserves that praise. Can we thank the worship team and the productions team? What a great job this morning. Uh, just leading us so well, and again, being preoccupied with Jesus. And I want to thank my good friend, Chris Petnack. We did have a brand new banner on the back that just really does a great job of reminding ourselves this is how we come, as we are recognizing that this is uh, all about being changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we come honestly to God before him. And Chris Dowdy and David Strum for our new bumper video, great job on that as well, Uh, so great. And you're gonna, they're helping us kick off a brand new series as we continue in the book of John. So if you have a Bible, you wanna open it to John chapter one. If you have a phone, you can go to our app And in our app, you'll find our sermon notes, our message notes, under resources, find today's date, and that will be able to help you track as well Uh, And just be able to stay along with us Uh, our home group notes will be starting I believe next week And so we'll get you kind of back in that rhythm as well, but it is so good to see you so good to see you online And we're excited to begin this brand new year together. So I'm grateful to get to be with you I appreciate my good friend uh, Michael Burns who's hosting today always does such a great job I think one of my favorite Christmas Eve service memories of this last year. You didn't know, but Michael wrote three of those four different um, soliloquies, or what what would you call it, Michael? What's the name? Monologues, did a great job enacted in one of them. Jeannie Osterberg wrote the other. They did a great job, but one of my favorite moments was uh, towards the end of our three o'clock service. And we'd had a few sprinkles, but it just turned into cats and dogs. It just started raining hard. And it was there and Michael was at this poignant part. His whole monologue was so great. He's at this poignant part. It just starts dumping rain. And, and he, he kind of braces himself and he says, I'm willing to power through if you are. Everyone out there was like rats off a sinking ship, just running for their lives. We were melting because we don't do rain well in Southern California. So great job powering through. (laughs) It's so good. And it's so good to be today. It's a little chilly, but it's great. The sunshine's coming out and we're feeling good today. And it's a great day to start. Uh, This brand new series called Beckon. We'll kind of explain that in a minute. I had a conversation with one of our pastors a couple of months ago. And as we were talking about just the state of things, I appreciated his insight. He said to me, he said, Todd, you know, I'm wondering um, as if the reason why we're having a unity crisis at Trinity Church is really because we're having a love crisis in that we're struggling to bear with one another in love in the midst of conflict and in the midst of criticism. I thought that was an incredibly poignant thing to say, and I think he's right. And I don't say that to you, I say that beginning with me. In times over the last few months, I have failed to bear with one another in love well. And if you're wondering if you have had a problem with that, it's a really easy question to ask. Look in the mirror and ask yourself, think about your attitudes, your actions, your words, your behaviors. Have you struggled to bear with one another in love the brothers and sisters that you have here at Trinity Church? You can answer that question for yourself. When I look in the mirror, I realize I've had some struggles with that. And so what really, that really became a hinge thinking about what we would begin teaching on in the new year that we need to just continue in this gospel of John, because John is gonna focus our attention again and again on the incredible extravagant love of Jesus. And as we keep coming in contact with his love, no doubt that's going to be something that's going to grow in us and spill over into the lives of the people that we're doing life with. So this makes all the sense in the world. This idea, beckon, it comes from this old English word that means to give a mute direction right, this kind of summoning of someone without even having to say something. It's actually the same root word for which we get the word beacon, like a light that gives guidance or direction to people around. And so we thought that would be just a great um, title for this series as we look at the first few chapters of John together, this idea that Jesus continues to invite people close to him so that they might know him, so that they might know the Father better. And so as he beckons them close, the God who invites you close, that's simply my hope and prayer for you over the course of the next few months as we look at these first five chapters of John together, is asking the question, God, Jesus, as you are inviting me close, how am I getting to know you? How am I getting to know the Father better? And in that love you've shown me, God, how does that love spill over into my relationships? just like that last song we sang, that I would give that love to those around me. Today we begin, we're introduced more to John the Baptizer's ministry. He's going to tell religious leaders who he is and who he is not, And in doing so, what we're going to find are some real likenesses to what our lives as Jesus's ambassadors today look like. He had this amazing, unique ministry, but there's evidences of it. There's representations of it that we get to live out as we continue to also make straight the way of the Lord in people's lives. Here's our now what statement today. Make much of Jesus as you interact with the unconvinced people in your relational world. Make much of Jesus as you interact with the unconvinced people in your relational world. Number one, people will ask you questions when you make much of Jesus in your life. People will ask you questions when you make much of Jesus in your life. John chapter one, beginning in verse 19. john replied in the words of isaiah the prophet i am the voice of one calling in the wilderness make straight the way for the lord so we pick up today right where we left off at our christmas eve services talking about how the law had come through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And if you want to get to know the Father, get to know the Son. He is the exact representation of who God is. So we continue in that same vein. These are the verses that come right after that. In our Christmas series, if you remember in December, we kept making these connections. We said that verses one through 18 are like a prologue. They lay down this amazing foundation for the rest of the book, giving all these big themes that are gonna come up numerous times throughout the book, just making a quick allusion to them. And then later on, we're gonna read more. I put them on a list for you. There were 10 that we identified. Here's a quick review. Things like life. He is the life that is the next, the light of men. Life and light, the world. He came to the world. The world did not receive him. And then those words, receive and believe. We talked about how this receive ideas, this aggressive, this excitement over being able to have hold of something and believe is just the word faith in its verbal tense. So faithing. Faithing is that idea. Spiritual rebirth is gonna be huge in chapter three. That was alluded to the glory. He came full of glory. That was one of the themes laid out in the first 18 verses. The father-son relationship is is the initial time it's laid forth in that first 18 verses. And then these last two terms we looked at, grace and truth. So those are 10 big themes from the first 18 verses of John, and what we'll see is those get fleshed out more and more throughout the book. But today, in this passage we just read, we're introduced to another huge theme. This phrase that we read, the Jewish leaders, is actually in some of your translations just simply called the Jews. And over 70 times in John's gospel, John is the only of the four gospel writers who uses this phrase, and he uses it over 70 times in his gospel. Specifically in this verse, it was the Levites and the priests that were sent. So those who represented the established Jewish religion, those who represented what Moses brought, Moses brought the law. And this is the group of people that were uh, really in leadership in charge of helping enforce that or helping make the law available to people and that they as a nation would continue to follow it. What we're going to see today and throughout the rest of the book, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult for this group to accept. Now, note, I didn't say for this group to understand, because John and what he just said, he's using their own sacred text. He's using the book of Isaiah to say, this is who I am. So understanding's not going to be the issue, but accepting what John and what Jesus have come to do, this is going to be very hard for them. It's going to be difficult because it means that there's going to be a new covenant in place of the old. And if there's any group of people who have, be, have relearned how difficult change is, we can at least have a little appreciation for that. Our world has been changing almost day over day, week over week for the last 10 months. And so change is hard. It's difficult for us. It doesn't come easy. And we all know that in the midst of that, when your calling and livelihood are based on preserving the old order of ways, it's going to be very hard to accept the new. And that's what this group of religious leaders were struggling with. But I want you to see how scripture defines the old covenant in light of the new, the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. But in in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. Look at this phrase, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So the idea that there was something new coming, a new whole a whole new approach to responding to God was going to be incredibly earth-shattering to this group of people which should have been great news, good news indeed still to them there was a power struggle that was going to become more and more aware, more and more prevalent for them because they realized that this was going to unearth their role of leadership. John begins by telling them who he is not. He is not the Messiah. In your notes, Messiah simply means anointed one anointed one. It would happen when one was designated as king. Now, there were lots of kings in Israel's history. There hadn't been a king for hundreds of years up until now. But this, this anointed one, everyone was, again, radar was up. Ears were peaked, listening for when this Messiah would arrive. And that's why they're wondering if he was them. And he even went ahead of answering the question before they could even ask it. I'm not him. Now it's amazing that then they began to go through almost this understood list of characters. If you're not the Messiah, then maybe, maybe you're Elijah. They just kind of knew to go there and to go back to again, they had the prophecies. They knew that there were things that were supposed to come in advance. And so he begins by telling them, no, I'm not Elijah, Elijah the prophet who never died. That that was going to come back and and make some sort of presentation of the way. And in a way, we'll find out later, John actually was a like, a type of Elijah, but he's not Elijah. Then they go on to say, are you the prophet? And that's an allusion to what Moses said back in Deuteronomy 18, that God would raise up a prophet like him from among them. And he tells them, I'm not him either. So he told them a couple things of who he is not, and then they asked, "Then who are you? What do you say about yourself?" And he quotes Isaiah chapter forty: "I am a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground will become level." the rugged places of plain. Look at this verse, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this idea, he's making it really clear. I am this forerunner. I am the one that Isaiah wrote about that said, I was gonna come and prepare the way for the Lord, for his arrival, for his entry. He makes that super clear to them. That's unmistakable. Here's the simple reality for us. I'm going to make some connections to our lives. We, none of us are like John the Baptist. He had a very unique calling, a very unique mission. However, as we'll see later on again in this book, I think there's some incredible ways we can learn from his life and be like him. And one of the things that's true is that as you are making much of Jesus, which he did, he's like, I'm not that guy. Don't don't confuse the situation. Let me tell you who I am. I'm the one who comes before to announce that he's here. When you make much of Jesus, people will be moved to ask you questions, wondering what's going on because you're doing and saying things that are so different from what they've come to know and accept of just the way things are. Number two in your notes, people will be confused. People will be confused when you make much of Jesus through your life. We're continuing, John 1, verse 24. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie." Now what we're finding out is that this group of religious leaders, there's another group we heard of, the priests and the Levites, sent delegates to question John. Now we find out this other group called the Pharisees, they sent delegates as well, and they ask a poignant question. You've told us who you're not, and you've even alluded to who you are, but we're completely confused by this whole baptism thing. What's going on with that? Well, let's see a little bit. And and if you've been in church long enough, you know the Pharisees are bad guys. (laughs) That's just the way, I don't wanna be a Pharisee. You know, you've you've heard all these songs and, and you've always heard them cast in this way, but it's interesting. When you go back to the first century, they were these religious zealots, these people who were so bought in to not just that there was a law, but how to fulfill it, how to live according to it. So much so, they were adding to what God had said in the law with all this oral tradition to make sure that you would stay so far away from crossing the line. They added all these other layers of of, uh, difficulties for you to keep. And the interesting thing about them, when Jesus will make statements like, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, that blew people's mind. They're the most righteous people on the planet. But yet what we continue to find out when they interact with Jesus is maybe better said, they're the most self-righteous people on the planet. This delegation was sent, let me give you, you'll see it up on the screen or in your notes. One commentator gave this description of the Pharisees. He said they were a a spiritual descendants of a pious group that had successfully opposed the notoriously cruel government uh, of Antiochus Epiphanes from 175 to 163 BC. The Syrian monarch had attempted to obliterate the Jewish faith the Pharisees were extremely scrupulous about observing every minute detail of the law of God as they understood it and were engaged in establishing an oral tradition about how the law was to be obeyed. Now, here's the interesting thing. We just said that a delegation of priests and Levites were the first to question John. Now we see a group of Pharisees are going to ask another set of questions. These two groups don't get along. They're all Jewish religious leaders but, but again, because the Pharisees love splitting hairs over minute details, they had problems with the uh, priests and the Levites, those of another class we call the Sadducees. So these two religious groups have opposition, they have conflict, and, and they don't get along well. But the interesting thing is we're going to find over the course of the book of John, these two factions are actually going to become united in their work against Jesus the Messiah, their common threat. You see, if Jesus actually is who he says he is, and if the people respond in like way, then all of their leadership, all of their power goes out the tube. So this is an interesting thing that these two who fought against one another become united in their quest to ultimately put Jesus on a cross. Now, this wouldn't be the first time either in politics or in religion where two faction parties end up becoming allies to defeat a common threat. But this is exactly what happens. And as we see the rest of the book of John, it will be important to remember that these guys didn't get along and now they become actually friends in order to defeat Jesus. The Pharisees question though is important for us to look at. They ask a really good question. Okay, you've told us that you are this forerunner we kind of get that. What is the baptism thing about? Because you have to know in the first century, like, <coughs> excuse me, just a few weeks ago, we had a, an amazing baptism in our service right out here on the lawn. It was just so rich. And what we did is people who had put their faith in Jesus prior, now and in that personal decision, wanted to make a public Um, explanation of that or a public representation, a a demonstration of their faith. And in doing so, did that in front of all of us. That's what we call believer's baptism. It's what we do now on this side of the cross, on this side of the empty tomb. But the interesting thing is baptism actually existed before we read about it in Acts chapter 2, where literally thousands of people were coming to Christ and being baptized. And it actually even superseded John. John the baptizer. It was what we would call proselyte baptism. People who were non-Jews who wanted to be accepted into the Jewish faith and into the community. Look at this quote from a commentary. This is what they would do. The pattern of proselyte baptism required a renunciation of all evil, complete immersion in water, and then reclothing as a member of the holy community, and watch this, of law keepers. That's what you were doing when you would say, I'm not Jewish by nationality, by birth, but I wanna be included in this unique people of God, you would be baptized so that you could enter into the community. It was, a, it was an actual, um, needed step, a required step. So this is what's blowing the mind of the Pharisees. Why are you baptizing Jews? They're already in the family. They're already in this unique people of God. Why do Jews need to be baptized? That's what makes John's baptism so powerful. It didn't make any sense. Remember, by the way, John's father, Zachariah, we read about kind of during our Christmas series when an angel came and told him, you and your wife, Elizabeth, at this old age, are gonna have this child that's gonna be very unique. But remember, he, he heard that message as a priest. Watch this, as a priest going in and doing priestly duties. John was a Levite john was of the house of levi john was of one of the parties that came to question him and they can't figure him out he's completely a renegade he's revolutionary in what he's doing and saying and they don't have a box to put him in they're deeply confused by who he is and what he does look as well the gospel other gospel writers give more they don't say john was just baptizing he was preaching Matthew chapter three, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was the message that superseded the baptisms. This is who he was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. Like we just read, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Let me just tell you, does not sound really appetizing to any of us. Didn't sound appetizing to any of the Jews either. This guy's nuts. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Watch, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So you have to know this was an incredible anomaly. No one had ever done this before. This is totally unique and bizarre. And that's why these religious leaders are going out to talk to him. We don't understand you or what you're doing. And the interesting thing is, John says, well, I'll tell you, I'm the one who comes to prepare the way for the one you've been waiting for. He has no problem telling them clearly and plainly. This posture of humility that John will continue to have all throughout the way this gospel records him is shown again in even his response. Listen to a commentator. The Baptist words continue a theme from the prologue, those first 18 verses, and betray extraordinarily extraordinary humility In the context of a society where a student was expected to do for his teacher whatever a slave would do except take off his shoes, John the Baptist makes no exceptions, not even this one, and thereby defines his relation to Jesus the Messiah in a moving way. You see, if there's one thing I want us to grab from the life of John the Baptizer is how much he makes of Jesus. We're gonna read later on in chapter three, he must increase and I must decrease. John fully understood his role, fully understood who Jesus was and who he was not. And as a result, wanted to make much of Jesus. I think this is what really puzzled the Jewish leaders. I think that when they went out to the wilderness, they expected to meet a guy who was completely full of himself who was completely a religion, who they assumed was a religious guru who was calling people to come and follow him, to come and be, be some, maybe this, this, that's why they asked her, wanted to know if he was the Messiah. Are you one of those other guys who's come like every other, a blip on the radar and said, I'm the guy you've been waiting for. I think that's what they went out to see. And John was quick to say, I'm not that guy, but he's here, he's among us. And that's what was so perplexing to them. He really made much of someone else and not himself. I want you to see that parallel to us today in a culture that is so obsessed with self. The way that we become more and more inflated is when more and more people keep looking at us, keep looking at what we do, keep looking at what we say, And as we keep stoking the fires of self-aggrandization, look at me and I will tell you, I have no way, we use social media all the time at Trinity Church. It is not in and of itself evil. But one of the huge problems with social media is how amazing we can make ourselves appear. And in a culture where people make so much of me, When you make much of Jesus, it will be utterly confusing to people you come across because they don't understand that. All they know is a group of people who love to talk about themselves. But when your actions and your attitudes, when your words and your deeds demonstrate and make much of Jesus, it will be a head scratcher because they don't encounter people who usually make much of anyone but themselves. So this same kind of logic was the challenge that these Pharisees were struggling with. Why are you making so much of someone else? Finally today, number three, making much of Jesus is powerful when it's not limited to church. And I have church in parentheses. Making much of Jesus is, or in quotes, is, is powerful when it's not limited to church. Let me tell you what I mean. The last verse for today, John one twenty-eight. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan words, John was baptizing. One thing that we know is that when we look at the different gospels, they evidence themselves to have a unique audience they're appealing to. Not so much to say that if you're not one of those people in that audience, you can't understand their, their writings, but they do have this bent The book of Matthew is written easily and obviously to those who are of the Jewish community knowing how many prophetic references Matthew makes. The book of Mark written to more of a Roman audience. Luke written to more of a Greek audience. I'm writing to you, Theophilus, lover of God. But John is unique from the synoptics, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke have so much overlap. It's it's a really cool feature because it keeps giving credence to the fact that this really happened. John's unique though, because John writes to the world. He writes decades later than the other three, and he writes to a much broader audience. So it begs the question, why does John writing to you and me 2,000 years later and writing to even the whole world at that point, why does John give any reference to where this was happening? Why would we care it's happening at Bethany? Well, for starters, it wasn't because Bethany is a real easy place to find. If you can see up on the screen, or I don't know if it's in your notes, this is a map, Biblical archeologists and commentators struggle to know where Bethany was, this Bethany. its Bethany was a town that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha lived in, but this is different because this is near the Jordan River. That Bethany isn't. So whether it was lower down by the Dead Sea or up high closer to the Sea of Galilee, commentators struggle to find out where it was. But what's interesting, what's true of at least these top two ideas is that neither of them were in the religious hub of Jerusalem. John the baptizer didn't go to where everyone expected there to be religious revival, quote, at church, quote, at the religious hub of where the Pharisees and where the Sadducees hung out. Instead, he went out into the wilderness. He went out into this place where people actually had to come and find him not somewhere instead where you would go, well, this is where religious things happen. Question for you and me today, what happens when we are making much of Jesus in places where it's not necessarily expected that we would, or in a place that's maybe not as comfortable to us? What happens when you make much of Jesus on the job with your fellow employees? And right now, maybe it's even over Zoom. What happens? What happens when we make much of Jesus in the homes in which we live and eat and sleep? What happens when we make much of Jesus in our neighborhoods with people, even if we pop our heads out just every once in a while? What if there's ways to make influential inroads, ways to make straight paths for the Lord in people's lives, not where they would expect it here? This gathering is awesome. We do it to bring great encouragement to ourselves and to shine the light on Jesus and we'll continue to. But what about rather than expecting people to have to come to you, what happens when you make much of Jesus going to them? You see, I can't think of a better way to kick off this year than to remind us of really something that we say as a church that we're very much about And that is that we would be a people of influence in our relational worlds, a people of Jesus' influence. And here's where that begins. You know, we've had cards available to you for so, so long. You don't need a magic card to do what I'm about to remind you to do. But look in your notes. It begins when you identify the people that God has supernaturally, strategically placed in your world. It could be on your phone. Even the prayer app that we made much of at the end of November, Prayer Mate, has a real easy way to put the people that you are doing life with in an app that you can remember to pray for them on a consistent basis. But when you put people on your list, you're beginning to identify God. You have a whole world, seven plus billion people on the planet, but you've uniquely put me in relationship with this group. I wanna pay attention to that. After number one, you identify, then you begin interceding. Praying is another word for it. Praying for the people in your relational world, praying that God would begin making inroads into their life, praying, God, would I be a source? Could you use me in this person's life who still needs you deeply? Praying for opportunities and praying for God to bring even a group of other believers, other Jesus followers around them that they might be influential in their lives as well. Then you start investing, and this isn't necessarily sequential. Hopefully you've been doing this already, but you begin investing in their lives meaningfully, not in some way that simply they're a project or a box to check, but people that you genuinely love, people you genuinely care about, people that you simply want to have a relationship with and you know as great of people as they are. And by the way, some of the people in your relational world might not be super great. They might be super challenging, super frustrating, but they're in your world. And as you invest in their lives, they begin to see the reality of Jesus's love flowing through you into them. Notice by the way, these first three ways that we are people of influence have nothing to do with this space or some event that you can invite them to. It's simply you being a person of influence in your world. Fourthly though, there are opportunities to invite the people from your relational world to come and see. Come and see what this gathering is about. Come and see as other believers get together, just what is this about? I've been so impressed as Michael was talking this morning about our rooted groups, people who are spiritually interested. Rooted is an amazing opportunity to go, would you sit down? It's a huge commitment, it's 10 weeks. But would you sit down? I will do this with you. I'll join a rooted group with you. Let's just investigate. Let's let you find out for yourself who this Jesus is. And I'd love to be along with you in the process. For those of us who just, by the way, on, online, you can do this as well. Online, if you've been through Rooted, would you raise your hand? I just want you to see this is something that is taking shape at our church and beginning to be something that is so helpful, not only to people who are wondering about who Jesus is, but those who've been walking with him for decades. I can't encourage you enough. Join a Rooted group in January. And finally, fifth, be someone that as you've been Uh, identifying them as you've been interceding, as you've been investing, as you've been inviting. Be that person who shares. Be that person who gives the gospel and not in some way that it's a sprint, but it's a marathon. Most people, when we do statistical stuff, we find out it's at least eight times that they've been made aware of the gospel before they ever respond to it. Look for opportunities to share this great news of Jesus. And by the way, some of you have said to me, Todd, I struggle with that meaning. I don't know how, I don't know how to do that in a succinct way. Can I just remind you almost every single service at Trinity we finish by giving people a chance to admit, believe and choose. That's a great way to summarize what the gospel is. And so today as I close our service, I wanna invite you to do what I invited you to do a couple of weeks ago. And that is, if there is someone on your mind, as we've been talking about your list today, and you've got not just a name, but a face, someone that you are spiritually concerned about, what I wanna remind you to do, even as we begin to close in prayer, as I go through the ABCs, and if that's a decision you've already made, would you be praying for someone in your relational world who you know hasn't made that decision yet, that they would? and that you would even be this incredible privilege, you would even be the one who gets to share those ABCs with them. As you make much about Jesus to those people who are unconvinced in your world, man, you will see the same kind of responses that John saw. And it's a great opportunity to make straight, to make even, to make plain the way for the Lord in their lives. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people who are so grateful for a new year, grateful for an opportunity to gather today, whether it be in person or online, grateful God to make you, just like John did, to make you the center. You're the one in the light. And we wanna simply take stock of that. We realize God that everything about our lives, we owe to you. You are the source of every good gift. And God, if there is anyone worthy of making much about, it is you. So God, give us that attitude, give us that propensity, give us that with a new freshness this week, as we enter into our work relationships, as we enter into our friendships, our neighbors, those who live under our roof. God, help us to be a people of Jesus' influence and like John, making straight the way for the Lord in people's lives. If you're here today in person, online, and you haven't yet responded to this incredibly great news that John was pointing people towards in this incredible Messiah named Jesus, then I have great news for you today because you can. You can begin that relationship. You can respond to the gospel today by A, admitting. Admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B, believing believing that Jesus is the only savior available, that he lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He was raised supernaturally on the third day. And he did all of that for you. So that see, you might choose. You might choose to say, Jesus, I put my trust, my confidence in who you are, what you've accomplished on my behalf, not in what I can do in trying to be religious, but in what you've already done. And Jesus, I want to live my life simply following after your example. Father, would you help us today as we begin a brand new year, begin with a brand new sense of encouragement, a brand new sense of of just um, endeavor, of mission, to be a people of influence in our relational worlds. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us first. And we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.